We speak today with Professor Uzi Rabi, director of the Moshe Dayan Center, Tel Aviv University. Dr. Rabi has a deep and nuanced understanding of Arab societies, nations, and non-state actors like Hamas, ISIS, Al-Qaeda, Hezbollah. He is also a hot item on Israeli TV, especially now. Rabi explains the hateful motivation of Islamic fanatics and how there is no question that their barbarism targets all Jews everywhere in the world, not just Zionists in Israel. Wake up, world. This is a war on the West. And the Jews? They're just the first. I'm Vivian Berkovich, former Canadian ambassador to Israel, currently living in the magnificent state of Tel Aviv. Stay with us. We begin our discussion with Professor Rabi explaining what and who Hamas is. And it boils down to this. Hamas began as a splinter group of the Muslim Brotherhood, an extremist Islamist movement that has been outlawed in most Arab countries, including Egypt and Saudi Arabia. It is a Palestinian nationalist movement that self-defines with reference to the Quran. Hamas supporters do not even consider the possibility of compromise. That concept does not fit with radical extremism. Hamas and others, like Al-Qaeda, intend to develop a global caliphate, Islamic domination, supported by Iran, Qatar, and other terrorist proxies, like Hezbollah, the Houthis in Yemen, and Al-Qaeda. The Palestinian Authority and Fatah Party, which control the West Bank, are authoritarian and corrupt, but more pragmatic and modern. Hamas, in contrast, is Islamist, barbaric, and fanatically motivated, as we witnessed on October 7th. Professor Rabi explains the barbarism, the hostages, and how it all links to the surge of public anti-Semitism being seen in the West. As an Islamist movement, Hamas cannot even politically allow for the possibility of the existence of the state of Israel. All of modern-day Israel must be Islamic. So, when demonstrators chant, from the river to the sea, Palestine shall be free, whether they realize it or not, they are advocating for the destruction of Israel. Full stop. A key individual who transformed Hamas into the barbaric organization it is today was a religious leader named Sheikh Ahmed Yassin. A radical imam who was rendered quadriplegic at age 12 due to a sporting accident. Sheikh Yassin was also nearly blind. Nevertheless, he was a powerful leader and founded Hamas in 1987. Sheikh Yassin was in and out of Israeli prisons and was eventually killed in a targeted assassination by the IDF in March 2004. It was under Yassin's leadership that Hamas transformed from a primarily humanitarian organization to a military and political one. He also seared into the organization's DNA that it must prioritize the release from prison of all Hamas terrorists held in Israeli jails. It's like a sacred covenant. 
Knowing the origins and political and military program of Hamas helps to understand why the group took so many civilian hostages from Israel and what they intend to accomplish by holding them. Now for three weeks and two days. What, if anything, is their endgame? Professor Uzi Rabi, director of the Moshe Dayan Center at the Tel Aviv University. Thank you so much for pulling over in your car on this late Friday afternoon in Israel to speak with the state of Tel Aviv. Pleasure. Thank you. So let's get right to it. In a fascinating discussion, Professor Rabi and I covered the origins of Hamas, the savage movement it has become, its particular fixation on freeing Palestinian terrorists imprisoned in Israel, and on how it intends to leverage civilian Israeli hostages, and how the plan isn't exactly working well as planned. This is how we connect this whole thing of the kidnappees and the hostages that in Israel, you have thousands of prisoners, Palestinians, who are imprisoned on grounds of actually terrorist acts. And what Yahya Senwar actually took oath about is that when he became the leader of Gaza, and this is exactly what we have now, he is highly committed, first and foremost, to freeing the prisoners, Palestinian prisoners, whoever they are, not only Hamas, Fatah also Islamic Jihad. This is why he actually enjoys that kind of wide legitimacy among the Palestinian public. And they got the experience that the best way by which actually to deal with Israel on that is to kidnap soldiers. In 2011, after five years in Hamas captivity, IDF soldier Gilad Shalit was released in a deal that saw Israel free more than 1,000 hardcore Hamas terrorists. The swap was and remains hugely controversial. Yahya Sinwar was a Hamas terrorist doing four life terms in Israeli prisons for murdering soldiers and people he considered to be collaborators. After 22 years behind bars, he was freed in the Shalit deal. Since 2017, Sinwar has served as Hamas's number two man. He is believed to be commanding current operations, particularly with respect to Israeli hostages, from his underground metro system, as it is called, an elaborate network of tunnels where weapons are stored and the Hamas terror machine is based. The largest such base, of course, is beneath the Shifa hospital complex, using the sick and civilians as human shields. Hamas made clear from October 7th that it expected Israel to empty its prisons of thousands of Hamas and Palestinian Islamic Jihad terrorists in exchange for the freedom of the Israeli hostages. Their assumption was that the Israeli value of life would cripple the country's judgment. Hamas was wrong. It is not that Israel doesn't care it is that it can no longer afford to play footsie with the possibility that Hamas may actually be a rational actor. It is not. It is a barbaric movement that values death over life. Now, back to Professor Rabi, who speaks about the centrality of prisoner release for Hamas, particularly under Sinwar's leadership. 
How, I asked Professor Robbie, does a devout Muslim like Yahya Sinwar reconcile his religious beliefs with the savagery unleashed on October 7th? The Hamas movement is based in the religion, steeped deeply in the religion and Quranic verses. We're also seeing, number one, civilian hostages being taken. Number two, being beaten and raped. We have video evidence of that. Sodomized, children taken, children tortured in front of their parents and parents in front of their children, families, civilians being burned alive in their homes. This conduct is not consistent with Islam. So yeah. can you talk about that, please? Yes, it's not definitely not. But I can show you, if you would like, how when somebody would like to take it to the extreme, would still lean heavily on Quranic verses and provide them with sort of an extremist interpretation that would explain uh, why we did it. If I'm going to kill a child, I prevent him from becoming a soldier in the future that would uh, actually go for Palestinians or Gazans. If I am doing this and that, I'm not saying that Islam says rape the women or something like that. You understand that there were some many Gazans coming after the commando of Hamas, and those guys were highly poisoned and pretty bewildered about the opportunity they were facing. They took it to the extreme. In the pockets of many of them, we actually found sort of directions and instructions from their directly uh, commanders saying, be very cruel, make sure that you are doing the utmost actually punishment to those Jews. And the whole discourse was not against Israelis, was not against Zionists, it was against Jews. It is important to pause here and explain carefully what happened in the initial surge of madness on Saturday, October 7th. The first terrorists who entered Israel were highly trained elite fighters. They were exceedingly sadistic and cruel and also carried written instructions with them as to which civilian locations to target and that they must inflict maximum cruelty. Following the initial surge, it was just regular Gazan Jew haters who poured over the border. They were ecstatic. They were being told to unleash their savagery freely on these helpless civilians. And that they did. We have recordings, among audiovisual testimonies, of men phoning their families from the phones of their victims, bragging about the Jews they slaughtered, live streaming on the victims' Facebook the slaughter of the families. And the parents in Gaza? They wept with pride. This was Auschwitz with a GoPro. All of these Hamas savages, whether elite combatants or not, were outfitted with fancy GoPro cameras that they attached to helmets or vests. They recorded and live-streamed their crimes against humanity. That was a significant part of the plan. The targets were Jews. Jews. Anyone who still pretends that Hamas is just an anti-Zionist, anti-Israel terrorist organization is totally detached from fact and reality. Hamas is ISIS, Nazism, Hezbollah, Al-Qaeda, and any other inhumane barbarian one can conjure 
all combined into one savage inferno. This barbarism is straight-up anti-Semitism. It is Jew-hating. Now, back to Professor Rabi. And we have seen that, and to corroborate my argument, I can provide you with clips as to how those guys, while killing and torturing Jews, women, children, and grown-ups, they, at the same time, simultaneously, making sort of a phone call to their father and mother, to their parents, taking pride of what they are doing. And here comes the unbelievable thing. Father and mother are crying of happiness to see that their child actually is fulfilling the sacred mission. And you know what? If you would like me to corroborate everything that I just said in now, it is there. We saw within days of this atrocity, this massacre, within days, we saw a widespread and very aggressive denial that this had ever taken place because Islamists would not behave like this. And one of the things we in the West have found we must push back on aggressively and strongly and unrelentingly is this denial. It took decades for Holocaust denial to take root. It took days for October 7th denial to take root. So everything you've said, I will amplify. But I'd like to also pick up on the other point that is of tremendous interest to me. As we in the West deal all the time with, we don't hate Jews, we just hate Israel. We just hate Zionists. That's the line. And you've talked about the link between anti-Zionism and anti-Semitism, and I don't know why anyone in the world would think we need any more clarity than after October 7th, but apparently we do. And the streets of Toronto, where I am, are filled with extremists, and but they're not a fringe. There are a lot of them calling for death to Israel, and their slogans and their ideology absolutely include death to Jews. And there is some sort of difficulty in the West in comprehending that. Basically, people are being fed by many things, basically disinformation, fake news, etc. But the professionals, I would put it that way, do know how to just connect Judaism, Zionism, and the hatred of the, of the other. This is something that we have seen in the Middle Ages. We have seen that in the, I would say, early modern period and definitely in the modern period. It, it is there always, but the context is being changed. And when you have such devices like social media, all the more reason why you can come up with kind of or jump into conclusions which are becoming the new truth based on fake news and other lies that are being actually amalgamated in order to create a different truth. This is a post-truth world. Professor Robbie, I know you have to get going and you've been so generous with your time. I do want to close though with one question. And I want to try to end on not so much a positive note, but let's have a little glimmer of light in this. The situation today, I've been surprised by the very strong support that Israel has received from the United States of America, from France, President Macron, from Germany, Chancellor Schultz. These are extraordinary examples of support for Israel and speaking out against this anti-Semitism that's just gone viral and toxic. We did not have that during the Holocaust. We do have some support now, and it's not insignificant. It's holding these hostages and manipulating public opinion. Is it backfiring on them now? What is backfiring against them now 
is the simple fact that America, Europe for years have taken the Palestinian-Israeli conflict as a well-known box. It became a slogan, it became an item by which to explain the problems in the Middle East, Palestinian-Israeli conflict. What happened now is that the Palestinian angle was exposing something that made the free world understand that ISIS is here, adjacent to Israel, and part and parcel of what actually before was defined as the Palestinian-Israeli conflict. I think that this is very important to this diplomatic hug, and I more than welcome and more than happy to see that. I dare say so, two things that you have to just bear in mind. A huge portion of the kidnappees are American citizens, British citizens, and other nation citizens. So basically, you have here a problem with a group that is committing crime against humanity, and your citizens are either actually kidnapped or uh, murdered or assassinated by that group. That's for one. Second, think of what the United States did to Al-Qaeda after 9-11. They moved actually half of their army to the other side of the globe in order to set the scores with them. For years, Bin Laden became haunted. So if that is the case, why Israel cannot do that with Hamas? In spite of this enormous support, and I'm not going to underestimate that, why can't we get the same method when it comes to Hamas? Give us a green light because this is the only way by which the free world can treat those savages, those animals who came up with that carnage. And let me just quote President Biden in his speech here in Israel. What Hamas did makes Qaeda to be seen as a rational group. If that is the case, give us the green light. If you're going to talk about the humanitarian stuff in Gaza, when those humanitarian stuff in Gaza is the thing that is being exploited cynically by Hamas, Israel actually gave Gaza's ultimatum to move from the northern part of the strip to the south part in order not to make collateral damage. The thing is that those who stayed on are either Hamas supporters or Gazans who are being threatened by Hamas. They actually gathered them all around Shifa, which is a hospital in Gaza. And basically around or beneath Shifa, you have the headquarter of Gaza or Metro Gaza city. And this is how cruel these guys how cynical they are. We are going actually to create a better Middle East if Hamas is going actually to become a thing of the past, at least politically and military. I'm not talking about the idea. The idea is still there as the idea of ISIS is still there. The idea of Qaeda is still there, but they are not running societies and states. This is not an issue that has to do with Israel only. This is the free world state. And this is what we said before, and we're going to say it once again. If you are not going actually to nip it in the bud when it comes to the Middle East, sooner or later, it would come to Europe once again and to North America. We know it. This is how it works. Those guys actually have dreams which are coming from times immemorial, and they are pretty sure whatsoever that they are going actually to win everybody else over with the passage of time including the West, 
which is actually much worse than Israel and the Jews. In their eyes, most Arab leaders, they are vying, hoping that Israel would not retreat. They don't want to see Hamas in Gaza. This is the last remnant of Muslim bodies that still rules a kind of a territory in the Middle East. In their own states, they just outlawed them. They haunted them. Why? Because they know how dangerous those guys are. The support which is so welcome and so highly respected is not enough if it doesn't actually go and end them with a go-ahead sign. This is where we do stand. Thank you for amplifying the message, Professor Rabi, that I have been getting out relentlessly for the last three weeks. And it's, I'll really distill it. The Jews are first. We're the appetizer. But their target is the West and the whole world. They target infidels. And anyone in the West who has any illusions about that, I absolutely agree, is in another galaxy. Thank you, Vivian. Let's hope for the good. Actually, take care and we'll keep in touch. You guys, thank you, everybody there. We shall prevail. This is what we do believe and we would actually like to believe in because still Israel is a strong state and I hope that it would find actually the solutions to all these problems it is facing. And in we are a strong people. And we are yes. a strong people. Exactly. Thank you very much. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat keep Shalom, Vivian. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the State of Tel Aviv and Beyond podcast. We'll keep the dispatches coming as frequently as we can. If you like what you're hearing, please take a moment, rate us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. You can check out our full library of articles and podcasts at our website, stateoftelaviv.com. State of Tel Aviv is an independent media venture and we rely on subscribers to support our work. If you are not yet a paying subscriber, please consider taking the plunge today. Each person really does make a huge difference, especially in these very challenging times in Israel. It is important that you stay informed and current and seek out a range of perspectives. This is a pivotal moment in Israeli history. It is not a time to be passive and disengaged. Thanks for sticking with me to the end. I'm Vivian Berkovich, signing off from deep inside the state of Tel Aviv.